Do you have students who despise writing tasks? Or maybe they just shut down, claiming that they don't even know where to begin to start writing. Well, today's episode of the Science of Special Education podcast, we are going to be talking all about providing research-based writing instruction. My guest today is Ross Young from the Writing for Pleasure Center. You are going to really enjoy this conversation and get a lot of ideas out of it on how you can improve writing instruction in your classroom. Sit back and enjoy. to the Science of Special Education podcast. Today, I have with me Ross Young from the Writing for Pleasure Center. Ross, I want to start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Writing for Pleasure Center, if you could. Oh, um, yeah. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm Ross Young, and I'm from uh, a little place called England, Brighton, England, um, and alongside my colleague, Felicity Ferguson. Uh, yeah, I'm the founder of the Writing for Pleasure Center. Um, I'm also the co-author of a book called Writing for Pleasure, surprising, uh, Theory, Research and Practice, uh, The Science of Teaching Primary Writing. Um, and this year, uh, which I suspect is why you've invited me on, uh, a new book called Supporting Children with uh, SEND, which in England is Special Educational Needs and Disabilities, uh, to be great writers, a guide for teachers and SENCOs. And SENCOs in England means the sort of coordinators of children with SEND in the school. Um, I also convene the United Kingdom Literacy Association's International Teaching Writing Special Interest Group. Um, and for fun, I also run their Teachers Writing Group. How did you get involved with writing? Was it something you were like, I just love writing always? Or was there a, a, a way that got you into this kind of area? Oh, the opposite. The absolute opposite. You know, um, years ago, I was teaching in my local primary school, elementary school. Um, and I came to the conclusion that I was probably the worst teacher of writing in the whole entire world. Uh, I hated doing it. I hated teaching it. Uh, my students got terrible results and my students also hated writing. Um, so, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't come to it from a love of writing. I actually came to it from a sheer hatred and wanted to do something about it. I think that a lot of people can relate to that, right? Like you're in the classroom and you're like, oh, there's like always that one thing that you're like, do we have to do this? And yeah. I think what you know, what you pointed out too, that your students hated it, right? I think a lot of times what the teacher really likes and is interested in, that translates down to the students as well. You'll notice if the teacher doesn't like it, the students don't like it. Or if they're really into something, you know, they they they're the the students will be really into it. So I think that's definitely well, you know, stuff. yeah. Research has like confirmed that and, and why that is, you know, and, I, and it's it's sort of comforting and worrying that I'm far from alone. Um, and actually, I don't know about you, but maybe you felt like that too, Brett, when you were teaching. You know, that you didn't like writing or you weren't very good of it, good at it. And maybe some of our listeners appreciate where I'm coming from on this, too. Absolutely. What was it like for you? Yeah, I. um I just really didn't know how, and I'm the kind of person, if I don't know how to do something, I want to avoid it. You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, you know, I remember getting like fancy paper and colorful pencils thinking like that was going to like solve all of my problems. And it was nowhere near, <laughs> near the solution. Um, so I just remember not, not feeling confident, I would say as a teacher, this was the, an area that I was not confident in. So I definitely would arrange my schedule so we spent as little as time as possible on those yeah. things that I wasn't wasn't confident in for sure. Yeah. 
It's all adding up because, you know, the fact is that many of us didn't receive the right to the education that we probably deserved when we were at school ourselves. So we've been let down Yeah, ourselves. absolutely, Research yeah. shows, you know, there's a great number of teachers out there who feel like a deep shame about their own writing abilities and have grown up disliking writing. Actually, there's a friend of ours, Paul Gardner in Australia, who carried out some investigations and found that in Australia, there's less, less than 2% of teachers wrote with or for pleasure. And half of them reported that they'd never, ever felt any pleasure from writing in their lives. And then sort of on top of that, to make matters worse, you know, the research surrounding initial teacher education, I'm not sure what you called it in America. Do you call it that as well? Initial teacher Teacher training? education, yeah, teacher Yeah. education, yeah. You know, that's the research around that reveals that the majority of teachers around the world leave their teacher training feeling ill-prepared to teach writing. And certainly, you know, don't feel prepared for teaching writing with children with SEND needs. Yeah, it's so hard because when I think about, you know, that teacher training, there's so much that has to be covered, right? So it's like, what do you get rid of to make room for one thing or the other? You know, I, I it's four, I don't know where it for you, but it's four years where we are. And really the first two years of your college is spent on basic classes, not really related to teaching. So you've got really two years of courses. And in that you also have to fit in your, you know, when you're, you're going out to the class, it's just a lot to fit in, a lot to fit in for sure. Um, but I, I don't remember anything. I don't remember learning anything Yeah. about how to teach writing, to be honest. Yeah. I remember Scary. some reading courses and a math course or two, but a lot of behavior and classroom management courses. But as far as content, you know, really getting into content, there was hardly anything. Which is, it blows my mind, Brett, because, you know, 85% of the world population write and need to write every day. Writing touches every single aspect of our lives. Like just, just like, like, like I, I, I don't like just talking about the academic all the time, but ju let's just take that one out, right? So academic, rightly or wrongly, children are judged in every single subject on the, based through their ability to write well. So actually, you know, every subject that children take, they, they, they can potentially underachieve of no fault of their own, apart from the fact that they can't write particularly well. So it's, it's going to affect all aspects of their academic lives. And that's before you get into sort of economic lives. You know, the majority of, of, of employers require to, uh, people to write. You know, self-employed, I mean, it's very difficult to run a business if you can't write. You know, Absolutely. so, you're, you're, so, you're, so you've got economic consequences. And this is before you get into kind of civic, Right. civic and social and, you know, dare I say, you know, emotional Yeah. benefits of writing as well. It's before you even get into that. So, Yes. yeah, it's just scary, isn't it, that I mean, something so important doesn't just, get the time and attention it deserves. just thinking about my morning this morning, I've already filled out a form, sent a, a note with my kid to school. I've done some text, texting, some emailing. And for me, it's only 10 o'clock. So I've already written, you know, throughout the morning in a variety of ways. You know, it, it really does touch on Yeah. everything in your life. And it's just so upsetting because, you know, it's children, it's, it's children with SEND that will, that will be excluded from society the most Yeah. from, from not being Especially able to write. now, right? Like with everything Yeah. being so social, you know, everything is text messages, social media, po you know, that's, they want to be connected in that way, just like we all are, but that Yeah. requires reading and writing, right? Those are two Yeah. skills that you need in order to, to Participate. socially, you know, Yeah. connect with people.
You've let's not get down. Of, let's not get down. Let's, let's bring it back up. <laughs> you've done a lot of work. One of the things I really appreciated when I when I got connected with you and took a look at stuff is that you've done a, a lot of work at taking a look at the research that's out there and trying to make sense of it for the rest of us, right? There's so much out there. So you've kind of taken that, looked at that and tried to identify kind of some common themes and strategies that seem to be across the board work for writing and best practices. When you do work like that, what's your process when you are trying to sort through everything that's out there? Such a nice question to ask. I never get asked that question because everyone wants just the, you know, they want the headlines. Just tell me what it is, Ross, what is best practices or what the research says. So thank you for asking that. <laughs> so I get to nerd. I get to nerd out now. So my partner says I need to get out more because I'm just utterly obsessed. You know, it's just an obsession of mine. I'm with you. So <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm in good company. Yes. Okay. Well, basically, you know, again, what appears from the research is that as teachers, we regularly copy the same failed writing teaching that we once received. Um, and uh, look, it's important I point out that there are, of course, going to be a significant minority of teachers for whom that doesn't apply, but it certainly applied to me. And so, you know, when I was teaching, I tried all the popular approaches in the UK at the time, and none of them worked. I was still terrible at teaching writing. I was frustrated. Um, and it was a, a sort of, it was the last straw, really. I wanted to, to do something about it. So alongside my colleague, Felicity, we actually decided that we were going to build a writing pedagogy from scratch. And we were going to base it on what the science and research evidence said was the most effective and affecting practice. You know, what had a, had a blooming impact on children's, you know, uh, emotions and feelings towards writing as well. That was really important to us. And at the time, we can we conducted like a total of sort of twenty three literature reviews spanning more than fifty years of scientific research. So first, we started with the meta analyses. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with the term, a meta-analysis is where a researcher will group many kind of scientific studies on a particular subject, writing, teaching, in order to identify like recurring patterns of effectiveness. And that then led us on to read what the case studies tell us about what the best performing writing teachers actually do in real life classrooms that seems to make the difference. And what was lovely, what we discovered that there was sort of 14 enduring principles that just kept coming up time and time again, which represented the most effective teaching practice. Um, so all of these principles have like a track record of raising standards and accelerating progress in writing. Um, do you want to know what they were? Yeah, that'd be awesome. This is like the head. Yeah, this is the bit yeah. that everyone gets excited <laughs> about. So um, we've, got, we've got to build a community of writers. So we've got to have children coming into the classroom every day, believing that they're going to be taught something blooming useful about writing and being a writer, and they're going to be treated as writers, uh, which then leads on to the second principle, which is probably why I'm here today, which is treat every child as a writer. So whether they're an English language learner, whether they're a child with special educational needs and disabilities, you still treat them as a writer. That's what the best performing writing teachers do. Um, another principle is read, share, think, and talk about writing. Um, it's important that children pursue purposeful and authentic class writing projects, uh, writing that's actually going to go beyond just their teacher's evaluation. Uh, we've got to teach children the writer's process. We've got to set writing goals. We've got to be reassuringly consistent. That comes out of the research from the case study teachers in particular, that they have a reassuringly consistent approach to their teaching of writing. Um, we know that children get better at writing the more opportunities they have to write. So we want them to be able to have opportunity to pursue their own personal writing projects. 
It's really important what we notice from the best performing teachers of writing is they do balance their compositional teaching and their transcriptional teaching and they make sure that they teach those things at the sort of correct stage in the child's writing process. So, you know, the best time to talk about children's sort of transcriptional and um, punctuation errors or deviations from convention is probably when they're proofreading. And that's the kind of instructional focus. It's a bit mean-spirited when, bless their hearts, they're trying to write a killer story opening for you about, like, killer mutant pirate aliens, and you come in with your red pen and scribble right, all over right. it and talk about all of the errors when you haven't actually given them a chance to deal with that stuff later on in a writer's process. And, you know, I'm a writer. You know, I, I, I take very... I take hours out of my process to deal with my deviations from conventions, which for which there are many, believe me. Okay, so it's I think it's fair enough that we let children who really struggle with writing do that too, yeah? Um, Absolutely. That then leads on to, to, to teaching daily uh, lessons on writing. Um, and the research is quite clear on this, that we wanna be using um, something called self-regulation strategy development instruction, which was popularized by uh, a dear friend and colleague of yours probably over on the pond, Steve Graham and Karen Harris. Um, they've done lots of work around that. If anyone wants to Google that, it's just a treasure trove of great practice, self-regulation strategy development instruction. And base, the basic premise is that you, you model, you teach one thing about writing, you know, a craft move, and then you, uh, you model it and you immediately invite the children to use it for their, in their writing that day. And then, of course, you help support them through your pupil conferencing and your live verbal feedback. So that's really important, which then means you have to be in some ways, you have to be a writer teacher yourself. And, you know, the best performing writing teachers, it's not surprising, are passionate writer teachers. That's really important because then you understand, you understand the difficulties in the writer's process. But you also understand the, the rewards and the, and the joy of, of seeing the reactions from your readership when you write something really, really funny, or really scary or really gross, right? The writers, we're sort of show-offs, we're sort of introverted show-offs, right? So we love getting reactions from our readership. And so if you can bring that into your classroom, kids really pick up on that and want to be like you, basically. Um, people conferencing, it's really hard to give feedback to children if you don't write yourself, because you don't really know what on earth you're looking at. And then that's when you get the red pen out and start stabbing them transcripts yeah and you're not really getting into really nice decent conversation and you know children with send in particular really would quite like to have the occasional bit of praise about their writing and for you to actually react to it as a reader before you start wanting to teach them extra stuff bless their arts <laughs> um and then you've got the connection between reading and writing of course you know better that we can get them at decoding encoding comprehending text you know, if they read text for pleasure, they then bring all the rich, lovely craft moves that they like from their reading and they try and use it in their own writing. Um, and then lastly, what was the difference maker between kind of your mediocre writing teacher and your truly exceptional ones, which your exceptional ones are always trying to interconnect those principles I've just discussed. They don't just pick the ones they like the sound of and ignore the ones that are a bit of an inconvenience yeah. to them or sound, yeah. or sound a bit like too much like hard work. So I'll right. just ignore that one. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think that that connection piece in general is so important. And I heard you mention it throughout several of those. And then again, at the end, you know, connecting everything together, you know, this 
it has to be authentic for the students. It has to be something that they can connect to what they're reading or to what you're teaching. I find that a lot of writing instruction is kind of these random lessons, right? Like, oh, I noticed some kids aren't using question marks, so I'm going to do a 15-minute lesson on question marks. But it's not really connected in a larger sense, like you were talking about, you know, I need to teach it before I can start using my red pen. And we kind of have to use those lessons, you know, like you talked about that self-regulation, you know, using those lessons, you know, kind of in that explicit and systematic way throughout that writing process, letting those students, you know, have success with the thing that you're focusing on and working on in their writing, I think is so important. Got it, hundred percent. You got to be up there. You got to sell it. You know, you got to think question marks are the absolute bee's knees. They're just the best craft move in the whole world. And you got to talk about why you love using them. And you talk about, and then you can talk about the conventions because that's important. And then you immediately invite them. Hey, you know, you go try that out today in your manuscript, in your composition. And they yeah. will. Yeah. They will with absolute pleasure. And, and I, you know, I, I've really enjoyed you. using things like mentor text, right? Like here's the book that we're reading. Look at this sentence. What do you, you know, what do we notice? Oh yeah. Here's a question mark. We've been talking about question marks. You write a sentence, you know, and having them right away go and kind of not copy that mentor text, but use that, that structure that we've just talked about in a way that's really authentic and connected. We've been reading this in class. You've been reading it in class. You know, we've enjoyed it. Now you can do this too, because you're a writer, right? You can, you can also do this. Exactly. And that's the power. The power is that you go to your your classroom library and you look at where a another writer, not you, a fellow writer who's not does, doesn't happen to be in the classroom at the moment. They're in your class library. You get them out. You show the children an example of that craft move. And then straight away, you show them how you've used that craft move as well. You've got to make sure that you're the writer teacher in there as well. Yeah. So you've got, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have both. You've got to have both. You've got, you've got to draw on that rich literature and the masters, but you know, you're not half bad at writing too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and celebrate that and share that yeah. with your kids. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> One um, population of students that I've worked a lot with is students who have emotional or behavioral needs in the classroom. And writing has, for me, consistently been, I don't want to say trigger, but something that kind of sets off a lot of those behaviors. I, and results in a standoff. I'm not doing this, right? Even my own son is is one of those students. And if it comes to writing, he shuts down. Um, why, why do you think that is? And what do you think we can do to help specifically, you know, that population of students when it comes to writing? Yeah, well, there's there's two areas that are, look, the Writing for Pleasure Center looks at really. So we look at the kind of effective uh, practice um, but actually so much of that under the hood is is about affective practice so changing or dealing with children's sort of emotions um, and so when we're talking about that particular kind of school population children who really struggle with behavioral or emotional disorders um, we need to make sure that we're attending to their affective writerly needs um, and i should probably i should probably point out by the way incidentally each of those principles i read out and talked about they have their own little area on our website where you can undertake your own independent study. So each principal has a whole host of free access articles you can download. And there's actually action research projects written by teachers as well. So you can actually read about how those things have been actually used and oh, applied excellent. by real teachers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. So interestingly, you know, we noted when we did our research reviews, we noted that there were about six affective needs. So relating to emotions that teachers should attend to in order to help children sort of write happily happily and successfully and those were self-efficacy 
so feelings of confidence and success, agency, which for some reason children with SEND needs often have uh, taken off them, but it's actually really, really blooming important to them, uh, both cognitively and motivationally. Uh, so having feelings of ownership and personal responsibility over their writing is really important. Uh, Self-regulation, so feelings of competence and independence. And you sort of got links with metacognition there as well. Uh, motivation, knowing why on earth I'm doing this really cognitively demanding task. Writing is by far the most cognitively challenging thing that we ask children to do when they're at school. It requires them to draw on probably, we think, around 13 different cognitive resources simultaneously. So if you can't give them a blooming good reason why they should be doing that, you're not going to get the best quality writing out of them. They're going to give you absolute bare minimum, minimum, minimum. So we've got to make sure that they're motivated. They've got to know why they're doing it. And they've got to have a readership, really, ideally, as often as we can, that goes beyond just the teacher's evaluation. And then the last effect, effectively, was writer identity. I've interviewed hundreds of children who've struggled or otherwise dislike writing. Um, and what they tell me remains consistent. You know, the biggest thing is that they don't feel that their teacher teaches them in such a way that they attend to those affective needs mm. so they don't feel confident yeah they very rarely feel successful they don't feel like they ever have a say over their own writing they don't feel like they can write well on their own and these children consistently have a sense of learned helplessness yeah they're very rarely convinced by their teacher as to why they're doing the writing that they're doing it's just another pointless exercise that's just been plucked out of thin air yeah. And therefore, they lack any kind of internal or environmental motivation for their writing to be the best it can be. However, they what they do say is they often feel an external motivation to write. But this is largely a negative one. So, for example, the fear of punishment is what drives them to write well, which is quite sad. Um, and they certainly don't feel a desire, a compulsion or, you know, an itch to write. And they certainly don't identify or see themselves as writers. Yeah. But we can help them, Brett. All right. So what we, uh, How do I do that? I'm going to answer. Yes, I'm going to answer your questions. So, what we found in our work is when teachers begin using evidence-based writing practices, they actually naturally attend to children's writerly needs, emotional needs, sometimes without even knowing. Um, so, not only does the children's writing performance improve, but so does their self-concept and their writer identity. So, here's some things that our colleagues listening could do: um, model. Model one thing and invite your students to do that one thing during writing time. This builds confidence and a daily sense of success, a daily feeling of competence. They feel like they're getting things done and they're making progress on a project and they love projects. Talk about writing as being a project really helps. Um, children with behavioural and emotional disorders really appreciate knowing what they have to do and how to do it. So that will help. If you just model one thing and ask the children to do that one thing each day, that will help. Um, for God's sake, don't limit students' participation or decision-making during writing lessons. For example, teach pupils how to generate their own writing ideas and allow them to write on a selected favoured topic, one which they know a lot about and they're motivated by. Now, there's a strong cognitive case for that because if it's if it, if they if the content knowledge that they that they get to choose is held in their long-term memory, thank goodness, 
Thank goodness, because then they've got the space to work on all the other 12 different cognitive resources that they need to draw on to write well. It's really hard to write well about Boudicca, who was this famous uh, Celtic um, princess, and children are often asked to write about her in England, and they don't know anything about her. They don't know anything about it, so they can only ever write as well as their knowledge of Boudicca. <laughs> right. And then what the and you see these teachers running around their classrooms desperately trying to tell them all Boudicca stuff. And we're in the middle of a writing lesson, Brett. And I'm hearing the teacher going around giving out content knowledge, not writerly knowledge. And all of a sudden, yeah, it's just a disaster. Whereas when you let children write about something that they're incredibly knowledgeable and, and love dearly, like their dog Barney. They, they, can, they can write beautiful information text about their dog Barney because they know blooming loads about their dog Barney. They don't know or care about Boudicca. They never met her. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So that, that makes a big difference. <laughs> but it's so interesting that we think that actually we're helping children with SEND often by giving them a topic. Mm -hmm. Actually, we're just making it even more of a challenge. It's like a, a, we just we turn writing into like an assault course. Yeah. By adding, we think we're adding uh, supportive scaffolds, but yeah, it just becomes an assault course for them. Actually, it makes writing incredibly sort of confusing. Right. Um, by doing that kind of thing. There's uh, so oh, much... mental text. What you said about mental text, yeah. absolutely. You know, you want to give pupils a variety of mental text as they are writing as well. You know, have them on the tables, and you can afford to do that if you're letting children write about the things that they've chosen. They won't be able to or want to copy the mental text, so it can stay out on the table, and they they will just take from it what they want to take from it. Um, oh, I mean, something that came out particularly when working with children with send is providing with ample time in which to plan. We so often want to rush through that and not give children a chance to talk and draw and discuss what it is that they're going to put into their writing. So the fluency suffers them. If we let them do a decent plan, they can draft quite quickly and quite happily. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. Oh, uh, providing time for the pupils to share their writing with their friends and get the reactions and responses because it comes becomes very addictive. You know, when I get to tell you about my dog Barney, you show an interest or you laugh at the funny anecdote I've shared with you or I tell yeah. you about his dietary needs right okay right. <laughs> there's a page all about his dietary needs and you really like that see I'm already already I want to write more for you yeah when I'm in classes I often see that that's the part that's rushed through right we'll, we'll yeah. let one kid come up and share or maybe two kids come up and share um and that's the part that kids enjoy the most, right? <laughs> I find, you know, sharing and listening to others and asking questions to the writer, you know, follow-up questions. And 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 that definitely seems to be rushed through a lot. It's the fuel. It's the fuel that gets them through. It's the fuel that keeps them going on with the hardest thing that they have to do while they're at school. Yeah. Um, I suppose getting a bit more technical then, I suppose, um, We've got, to, we've got to allow pupils to use sort of temporary spellings whilst drafting. Uh, so, you know, what, what we also call sound spellings. So they write down the sounds they can hear in the spelling, put a circle around it, and just reassure the students and let them understand that those temporary spellings that they wrote down will always be corrected, but we'll correct them at the proofreading stage of our project. And kids really, really appreciate that, and they really calm down and relax, knowing that that's going to be something that's going to be available to them. And in handwriting as well, you know, so often you see um, we want our handwriting instruction to focus on students' ability to write basically fluently and happily. 
and not have to blooming think about it, as opposed to in making sure that they adhere to a particular style that seems to be in fashion in your particular school's district at the, at the time, yeah. and then goes out of fashion, right? Yeah, that um, handwriting that, Otherwise, that's what so they end important. up to blooming worry about. They sit there right. thinking, oh, have I done my F, how she likes it to look, you know, and they're not writing about and a lot of writing quality craft. A lot of kids missed that handwriting instruction because of COVID, right? Those kids who were in kindergarten, first, second grade missed that direct instruction piece. And I'm finding those third, fourth, you know, fifth graders now are spending so much effort and so much time with the actual handwriting part of the piece and so much effort going into that because they've never got they never got that direct instruction on where to start their letter and how the letter is formed yeah. and how to hold the pencil properly and and so yeah that piece is so important and I think people sometimes don't really realize the importance of that that direct handwriting instruction piece that we typically give in, in that kindergarten first grade for sure. L lastly, I mean, the, the, the thing that came out strongest in the research is being a role model and actually writing alongside your students in your class. And I don't mean scribing for them, don't mean doing a shared write where, you know, you get them to give you ideas and, you, you know, you're just sat amongst them writing yourself, writing for your own pleasure and enjoying their company. I think that's another thing, particularly children with behavioural or emotional disorders, they often get sort of ignored. Uh, the teacher's almost scared to sit with them and, and they don't have always positive kind of um, relationships. If you just sit down and you, as I say, you hear about Barney the dog and you start laughing. Or you show real empathy or you start talking about your dog as well. You just got a bit more credibility with them. So when you do give your bit of feedback and you do want to push their writing forward, they're far more willing to listen to you and use and apply it because you're a fellow writer. Yeah. Right. You've got to get yeah. uh, you've got to get the credibility. So much in there. I one of the things that keeps coming to my mind as we're talking about this is the importance of instituting all of this early on in a child's career. Because I find I get called in for students who are at you know, high school, middle school, high school, sixth through 12th grade here for us. And at that point, they have built up so much frustration and belief that they're not writers that it's really hard to like backtrack then and be like, no, let's go back and, and start writing. And, and the type of writing that they would want to do in sixth through 12th grade is probably something that they're not quite capable of doing yet because they missed out on all of this. And now we're asking them to go back and write about their dog, Barney. And they're like, I'm in eighth grade, right? <laughs> like I, and it just yeah. creates more issues. So it's really that starting this early and young has got to be a really important piece, I would imagine, to all of this. Yeah, I mean, um, children need to receive a solid apprenticeship in writing uh, in England in the early years, foundation stage and key stage one, which I guess is the equivalent of your preschool, pre Pre preschool, pre kindergarten, kindergarten, okay, yeah, grade okay, one, yeah. that kind of age range. Um, and as teachers, we need to work on writing fluency. So this means helping children master encoding, as you were saying, letter formation, handwriting fluency, and basic sentence construction as early as possible into their writerly apprenticeship. And actually, you know, in writing for pleasure schools, uh, children comp compose thousands of sentences and make hundreds of books in the first year, few years of schooling. Uh, you know, on, on their very first day of nursery, they're invited to make a book. Um, and in the process of that 
apprenticeship over the course of a few years, they internalize all the key skills that are going to allow them to write meaningfully and fluently and happily and accurately as they move through the grades. I find that a lot of times those, those younger teachers, um, obviously you have the Center for Writing Pleasure, so we want kids to enjoy writing, but I feel like a lot of times they don't want to give any sort of explicit instruction because they're afraid, oh, well, then they're not going to like it. So there really has to be kind of a balance. We have to teach students the things we want them to incorporate. We kind of, I feel like they just expect them to know how to use a period or to know how to use a capital or to know how to use, write a list, you know, in a sentence. And we're not giving them that explicit instruction piece. So would you say that that's, you know, also just as important as, you know, making sure that we're having them doing a lot of writing and writing for pleasure, but we've got to give them that, the instruction part as well. Yeah, you, yeah, because what they... They are hard, they're young, but they're hardwired to desire literacy and they want to be taken seriously and they want their books to be stat to stand up and be taken seriously by their readership. Um, so yes, you've got they and they they blooming find it interesting. When you as a writer teacher show them what you've done in your book that you've made and immediately say, Oh, do you know what? We could do that in our books today. Go on, off you go. Everyone go off and try that out for me in your books. They love it. Um, it was, I'll never forget it. I was doing some research and I was, I had to pretend I was ignorant to what was going on in the, in the classroom. And I went up to this little chap and I said, um, what's all this about then? What are you doing? And he said, we're, uh, we're, we're bookmaking. And he said, bookmaking time is where we, when we get to play writing. And, you know, his teacher would give rigorous instruction every single day at the beginning of bookmaking time. But as far as he was concerned, it was child's play. He was playing. He was making books with his friends and having a really blooming jolly time. He just happened to also being taught stuff that was going to be really helpful to him in the now and in the future. He didn't even he didn't even know. Yeah, that I'll comes up with that. Re that comes up with reading a lot. I you know teachers are like, well, it's just so boring. Like it's boring for you, but it's not boring for the five year old who's just learning how to do it, right? Like they're like, wow, I know how to use a question mark and I used it the right way. And now my friend is answering the question that I wrote, you know, for them, it's exciting. And like you said, it's play, it's, it's you know, fun and pleasurable. Uh, it might not be for you, the teacher, cause you know how to use a question mark. You've been using it for 30, 40 years. Um, so yeah, I think that's- Their nice. books are a hoop, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> you go to any nursery or reception class. And, you know, if you're a commercial picture book writer, I mean, it's a, it would be a treasure trove for writing ideas because they come up with the quirkiest, zany, wacky ideas that are just so full of voice and funny or sad or interesting or gross or disgusting or scary. Yeah, they are having a really jolly time. They don't know. They just don't know. They, what's lovely is they don't even realise how blooming hard it is. Right. <laughs> Right. Because they're having what, such a great time. What about our students who have some more cognitive or developmental, you know, delays? What are some things that we could do to help them through this process? Uh, well, first, yeah, first thing would be to, to first thing to say is would be don't delay. <clears throat> you can invite a child to make a book on their very first day of nursery. And, and what you do is you accept their emergent writing and you, you're fully accepting of it as a temporary scaffold. Um, and as you teach more phonics and letter formation and sentence construction uh, craft moves they'll wean themselves off of that emergent writing but yeah, accept it because that's that, that means they can access and participate on the very first day and that's really important 
don't want to delay the teaching of writing. So that'd be the first thing. Um, beyond this, we want to make sure that children are engaging in the processes of writing for a sustained period every single day. That's another thing. Um, they should be invited to write about the things that they know a lot about. I've said that, you know, and motivated to write about. This is because perhaps for the first time, uh, when that happens, they get to write from a position of confidence and stre strength. You know, they're sure-footed with the, with, the, with the subject. And that really helps um, your, your children who, for whatever reason, are struggling with writing. Um, we've got to make sure that our lessons, the instruction that we're giving is incredibly short, elegant, explicit, And I really would recommend that people look up the principles of self-regulation, strategy, development, instruction, because it's exactly that. And it, and, it, and what, what's beautiful about SRSD instruction is that it can include lessons on anything, grammar, sentence construction, literary craft moves, planning techniques, anything. And it's free. It's not difficult. You know, the basic concept is that you model one thing and then invite your children to use and apply that one craft move that day. Um, another thing I think I see in schools is uh, children who struggle with writing. Um, what they really, really benefit from is the teacher setting a very precise and easily achievable process goal for each lesson. Let the children know what it is exactly you want them to do during writing time. And if you can put a model up of the sort of thing you're looking for them to do, even better. So that means that links back to kind of making sure that your writing instruction is regularly accompanied by a poster or a chart or a checklist or an other resource that can visualise and reiterate what you've just taught the children. So, you know, I don't want to see teachers putting up electronic flip charts you know, PowerPoints and things like that. You know, a poster can stay up for days, weeks, months after you've actually done the initial instruction. A PowerPoint can't. So that's one of the benefits of charts, really. I think you call them charts in America quite a lot. We call them posters, right? Yeah, anchor charts a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> okay. Um, I think children with writing difficulties are often put on the, the sort of dunces table, which is really sad. And so they all kind of just sort of club together and try and struggle through it all, all together. And actually, if we let them sit with their more experienced peers, you know, we all read Vygotsky, didn't we, when we were on our teacher training, right? We know that children, what children can't do on their own today, they will do if they can watch a more experienced peer or teacher doing it. So that's really important as well. Make sure they can sit with a friend who just happens to be a little bit more experienced in writing because they leapfrog off of them then. Um, another thing we see is that teachers often think that they have to give live verbal feedback um, equally to all of their students. So we've got this situation of equality, not equity. And actually, your most, your least experienced writers have, deserve to have you come and spend more time with them than your most experienced writers because they're very vulnerable. And they need to have the most experienced person writer in the room giving them feedback and additional instruction. So don't be afraid if you've given live, if you've given feedback three times to one of your students and you haven't given any feedback to another one. That's all right. You know, and it's the right thing to do for all sorts of for social justice. Really, we really want to make sure that these children can leave school being able to write well. We've got to make sure we give them the care and attention that they deserve, really. Um, 
I think what came out of the research for children with SEND in particular is they really do appreciate looking at mentor texts and undertaking some genre study before a project begins. And actually, whilst the project's going along as well, I would really make sure you're keeping texts on the table that match realistically what you're expecting the children to produce for themselves. And so don't just use commercial texts. You know, a, a, a beautiful 23-page spread commercial picture book is not what you're typically asking your children to produce. It might be a sort of six to eight page picture book. So make sure you've blooming written one so the children can look and you can, you're really explicitly showing them what you expect them to be able to produce then. And they really appreciate that. And again, it comes back to that credibility thing. Yeah, I love that. Those are great tips. One thing that we didn't touch on that is coming to my mind now is we oftentimes have maybe a writing portion of the day but as we mentioned earlier, writing is something that really is throughout all academic areas. So how do you get all of the other teachers that your child might see, student might see throughout the day? Let's say they go over, you know, switch teachers for social studies or science. How do you communicate with everybody else and make sure that that work that you're doing maybe in a writing class is generalized and used throughout the student's day? So they're really getting that that experience. I think what you've got to do, you've got to make sure your writing lessons are laser sharp focused on teaching the craft of writing and the different purposes for writing. So make sure you're teaching children how to write a great information text, how to write a great explanation text, a discussion text. If you do that in the writing classroom, they have their little toolkit. I always think of children having kind of an invisible suitcase that they then take to other lessons and they can get all of their writerly knowledge out and put it on the table. So when they're in geography or history or science, they can produce an information text, an explanation text and discussion text while they're there. Yeah. Yeah, super important. One of the things, there's a lot that we've talked about today that I think people can put into practice, you know, in their classroom but it can be really overwhelming. So I always kind of tell teachers like find one thing to start with, you know, and, and change one little thing in your instruction. If you were to tell a teacher, where would you suggest they start? What should they start doing tomorrow that they're not already uh, putting into place in their writing instruction? Okay, so I'm gonna recommend something that costs nothing. And that's why I like it so much. Uh, I would suggest sitting down and always think to yourself, what is it I want the children to get done in this particular lesson? Then model that one thing yourself as a writer teacher before inviting them to do it for themselves in writing time. Make sure your model is visible to everyone in the room. And I recommend this because it's just great practice for all students. It comes up time and again in the research around general education and when working with children with SEND. So it's that SRSD, you know, I do, we do. And then to get to make it a little bit complicated, the you do in writing for pleasure schools is their personal writing projects. The idea is that if they think the craft move is useful enough, they'll start to use it all the time in their personal projects as well. So I do, you model the craft move, put it up as a poster, we do. That's the thing we're going to be all working on today. And I'm going to go around and give you feedback on it and other things with the ultimate aim being the self-regulation. The ultimate aim being that they'll remember that craft move and use it in the future because it's got utility for them. Love that. 
super easy to, and to it's do free. Tomorrow, right? Yeah, it's free. Yeah, that's always helpful. <laughs> well, I and I think that lots of times as teachers, we miss that step, right? We might have a writing curriculum that we're supposed to use. So I look at the script and I tell the kids what we're going to do today and then I send them off to do it. But having that model, you actually doing it first, right? And having that experience so that you've got that shared writing experience with the students and model for them, I think is, is something that could easily be done no matter what curriculum or program your school has instituted. It's something you could do, do tomorrow for sure. Fabulous. Well, oh my goodness, there's been so much here in our conversation today. <laughs> if people want to know more, where can they find out more about you and the Writing for Pleasure Center? How do they get there? Oh, thanks, Brett. Um, I mean, yeah, just you can Google, just Google the Writing for Pleasure Center will come up. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of free articles and continued professional development handouts on our website that you can use for free. If you want to support our work, you know, there's even some paid for resources that will help us continue the work that we're doing. Uh, that would be really nice. Um, and in addition, people can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm very nice. And you can just <laughs> drop me a message or whatever you like. Um, I'm um, at writing rocks underscore 17. Awesome. Well, we'll put all those links down below in our show notes as well for people to get to them. It has been an absolute pleasure <laughs> speaking with you today, Ross. Um, and I would love to have you back sometime in the future for sure. I think this was a great conversation oh, for people. Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Brett. Cheers. Thank you. And if, if there was some listeners, thank you very much for getting all the way <laughs> to the end. Yeah.